the Culture Guy Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. New episode. Christian here, the Culture Guy. States. And specifically with a guest from Austin, Texas. Welcome back. This is Christian, the Culture Guy. Another episode. It is February of 2018. And today I want to introduce you to a friend, a colleague, a coworker, a cross culturalist just like myself, Miss Sharon Schweitzer. Or if I pronounce her name German, it would be Schweitzer with a more like a V sound. Um, I'm sure there is other pronunciations for her name because Sharon's lived around the world, um, mainly in Europe. Well, when she lived outside of the U.S., she lived in Europe, in the Czech Republic, and she has traveled around the world significantly in the eastern part in Asia. So the first reason for me to interact with Sharon was because of her book, Access to Asia. You'll find the links in the show notes. And I had the pleasure last year to work with her. We were co-facilitators for a training program. So um, this is colleagues talking about crossing cultures, but it's more than this. This is not shop talk. This is from someone who comes from the U.S. and is a third culture kid and has seen the world and applied and keeps to apply that knowledge in her work. So without further ado, let's talk to Sharon. And here I am live today with Sharon Schweitzer, who is in Austin, Texas, where it is weird and people want to keep it that way, right? That's right. What, Keep Austin weird. What, what makes Austin so weird, Sharon? Well, there are a number of things. Um, we have Hippie Hollow, and we have Whole Foods, and we have Central Market. We have Barton Springs. We have lots of things here, and Austin is kind of a blueberry in a sea of tomatoes in um, Texas. We are that liberal spot. Uh, in a very conservative state. So and to, we, those, to those who are not familiar with American domestic policy, um, blue is the color of the more liberal-leaning party, the Democrats, and red is the color of the more conservative Republicans, right? That's right. And you are known in the cross-cultural and intercultural field mainly, I want to say mainly, at least that's how you came to my attention, as the author of the book, access to asia which you told me earlier is now in its third printing correct yes it is and i found that out quite by mistake i thought it was in its second printing oh wow so they sold out quicker than you thought they would 
Well, uh, apparently um, they've printed it uh, for the third time, which makes us very happy. Nice. And it is a book for, well, tell me, who, who is Access to Asia, Asia geared towards? Is it for business people? Is it for travelers? Is it for both? Who needs Access to Asia and how does your book provide it? Well, Access to Asia um, is designed to serve as a primer, and it can be for anyone. It can be for someone coming to the U.S. who's trying to figure out how to live in the U.S., or it can be for someone who's traveling to other countries. It's designed to help you be flexible in your thinking, motivations, feelings, and behaviors when doing business in Asia and while maintaining the values and morals that you hold dear to yourself. Mm -hmm. And you are originally from the United States. And those of you who have seen your face or your picture on the various online publications that you're, you're known for by now, and we'll talk about this, of course, as well. You look very stereotypically white, American, some would say mainstream, so um, how, how do you qualify to be the Asia expert? What, what brought you to be the author of Access to Asia? Well, Christian, there are probably two answers to that question. Number one, I'm not your stereotypical mm -hmm. U.S. American. I'm a third culture kid. And I kind of grew up all over the world. My father flew reconnaissance for the Navy. So I spent my early school years, my early childhood in Japan. And I've lived in various places in the world, including Hong Kong, the Czech Republic, just various places. And secondly, this book is the first in a series of business guides by Wiley Business Publishing. I'm working on the second book now. So this is not just a book about one single book. We're going to do a series of books. Mm. And it's more about culture. It's more about world culture and helping to share the important information that we need to engage with other cultures. We need to understand culture and what it is that makes all of us unique and what are some of the similarities that we all have. Right. So your, your parents took you to Asia. Um, I don't think you had a choice at that age. So how was your, how was your experience as, as a, a Westerner, a Western kid with a, a father in the US military to, to grow up in Japan? Well, you know, at that age, you're young and you embrace everything. And I absolutely loved it. Some of my best memories are of my time in Japan. I still have my kimono. I have a lot of things uh, that I cherish that are here in my office in Austin. Mm. I have coins from the uh, Olympics, from when the Olympics were held. I remember from very early in my school days where in Japanese school, we all learned in a special way. You know, the teacher would give us instructions and we would all collaborate and talk together and we would all start our school projects together. And it, it was all very group oriented. It was 
what here in the U.S. today we call team-oriented, but we all worked together around one great big desk or one great big table, and we worked on our projects together. When I came back to the U.S., I had somewhat of a culture shock mm. because in the U.S., the teacher would give us our instructions, and everyone would start separately, individually, on their own, and everyone had their own individual desks. Well, that was difficult for me because that's not what I was used to. So if I would lean over to talk to a classmate, I would get in trouble because that's not what how we're supposed to work. We're supposed to work independent, you know, mm-hmm. independently, and that's not what the culture I came from. The culture I came from, there was a lot of consensus and harmony, and you worked together. You weren't working individually or competitively. How old were you when you when your parents moved back to the United States? Well, when we came back to the U.S., I was around seven or eight years old. Mm. So you already had those formative elementary school or preschool experiences that shape behaviors well into your teens, right? And for for you, this was um, significantly different behavior that you experienced once you came back to the U.S. school system. Yes, because those ages of four to seven, you know, that's crucial for a young child. The age of reason is seven and you start questioning everything. Mm -hmm. So what those formative years when you've already had so much that's shaped you, then you all of a sudden something crucial like that changes and it, it can be quite a disruption. And how you communicate, um, what has shaped your mind, what has shaped your relationships, it can be, you know, pretty disruptive. And it's, it's a completely new way to learn. Do you remember when you became aware of your identity as a third culture kid, when you realized, wait a second, I have two different sets of behaviors that I can use in their respective environment? And when you realized, oh, I can flip a switch and now I can behave more like this and this will make me more successful or get me to my goals and well and then later on I'll be in a different environment and I have to behave in a different way and I can easily switch between those two was do you remember when when that came to your awareness and when you started using it um, with awareness I would say probably between junior high and high school, I had gone to so many different schools at that point. Um, by the time I graduated from high school, I had attended 14 different schools. Oh so I realized that when you go to a new school, you have to assimilate and you have to make friends and you have to learn and figure out the culture right away because every school system has its own culture. Mm-hmm. And. Outside of Japan, what other what other countries had uh, did you have the privilege to to live or work in? Uh, well, for great lengths of time, uh, the ones I would count as for long periods of time would be Hong Kong and the Czech Republic. Hmm. So, when it was already the Czech Republic, or when it was still um, Czechoslovakia? Oh no, when it was the Czech Republic okay. after the Velvet Revolution. All right, all right. So I understand you do speak a little bit of Czech, right? Ano. <laughs> no, not, not, not enough to get Ano is yes in Czech. Ah, there we go. <laughs> See? Ano, all right. See, I don't speak Czech, and that's why I didn't pick up on that. So how, um, how would you rate your, your, your Czech skills on a scale from 1 to 10? 
Oh, I would say probably a three. I studied Czech in Olomouc um, mm -hmm. one summer after I, I did some teaching at Charles University in Prague, in Praha. And I went with my mother and we studied. I was studying Czech. I wanted to become fluent in Olomouc, but our studies were interrupted when my father fell ill. So I had to fly back to the U.S., but um, I had spent some time teaching at Charles University. It was an international mediation course, and it was wonderful. And I enjoyed learning Czech at the university there in Olomouc. It was a beautiful Czech university, and they taught the, the Prague style of Czech. Mm. So it's, it was excellent. But I really want to go back and finish. I also studied uh, Czech with Berlitz. All right. Which uh, most, or I would assume that North Americans are not always aware of that, that um, Prague is the center of intellectual education in Central and Northern Europe. Prague was actually the first city north of the Alpine Ridge in Europe to have a university. It's the Prague University is the oldest north of the Alps. So it is. It has always been traditionally a, a hotbed of of education and cultural connection, um, and it, to this day, I think Prague is is an exciting place to be. It, it, it may it may have become a little too touristy for some. Um, however, it's always been a, a a connection hub for Western, Southern, and Eastern European cultures who came together in that beautiful city. Well, that is very accurate, Christian. Thank you. So, it's a very kind thing to say, especially coming from a German. You are so kind. Oh well, it's uh, we as, as Germans, we uh, our our culture is is now well aware of how how um, how much eighty years ago it it jeopardized or to, to a certain degree destroyed what Prague what what made Prague famous. I think before before the Nazi regime took over, Prague was one-third Czech, one-third German, and one-third Jewish. And, and that, of course, went away with what happened during, during the Nazi era. Um, now, your experience both in Europe and Asia led you to do your work today. So you are known as an international protocol expert and a corporate trainer and a cross-cultural trainer. Where do you see your strength aside from being an author? How do you apply your experience and your know-how with your clients? I would say that what I like to do is I like to bring people together and I, t I customize my training. So I get people who come to me, corporations, highly motivated individuals, universities, and many times they will come and they will ask for customized training. People will come who are bringing delegations into Austin or into Texas, and they'll need assistance. So what I do is customize whatever it is that they need, and it varies. Sometimes it's international protocol. Many times it's what we in the industry call intercultural, but what the business world calls cross-cultural. Mm -hmm. And so I assist with that, and it varies. I would say about 40% of it to 50% of it is the international protocol, but a good 50 to 60% of it is the cross-cultural, the intercultural. 
So in, in layman's terms, would you say the, the etiquette is more the tip of the iceberg do's and don'ts um, and the, the other work is the more in-depth going um, beneath the water surface to discover the, the motivators, the value systems, the belief systems that direct behaviors, right? I would say the etiquette is maybe 20% mm -hmm. because the delegation work is a lot of that is cultural because we're welcoming large groups. Um, we have a group of 70 coming from Dubai and that, uh, trust me, is cultural work. Oh, <laughs> that yes. is not the do's and the don'ts. That is understanding that culture and making sure that uh, the people that are greeting them have an in-depth understanding of the culture and what their expectations are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the do's and the don'ts, uh, I consider to be surface. I think um, understanding those cultural dimensions is crucial. So I, of course, understand the value of this work. And I'm sure you encounter this once in a while that you deal with an environment that would argue, well, you have a delegation coming to this country. Why do we as the hosts have to bow to their every need? Shouldn't they, the ones who come visit, um, be uh, familiarized with the way we do business here? Um, a trend that we see, um, I see often in my work, especially in in Europe and North America, that there is this, well, we're the hosts and we, we set the norms so that the guests better meet us at least halfway. What do you respond to that? Well, my response to that is we are welcoming them here into our country. Obviously, we want to be gracious hosts and hostesses. And the fact that we're welcoming them, we are citizen ambassadors. And just as we would like to be welcomed in their country, we would like to reciprocate. So when we go and visit around the world, we don't want to be cold shouldered. We don't want to be snubbed. And so it's only fair to reciprocate in kind. Mm -hmm. Now, if we, you know, want to walk around the world and have people say, oh no, we don't speak English here and we don't uh, that's not how we welcome you, then that's fine. And if we want to behave in that fashion, then we are, you know, that's just not the appropriate way to do it. We welcome people here. We always have. And we need to reciprocate in that way because that's the higher path. And I think what we also need to think about is that culture You know, my friend Peter Drucker has always said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> And I really believe that culture is the top of the food chain. Right. And it always will be. Right. And I agree fully. And what I tell my clients is, well, you're leaving money on the table if you're not doing your part to understand your foreign counterparts on a deeper level. It, if, if you expect them to do the legwork, then good luck. It's, it's, at some point it becomes a business case. It's not only a matter of uh, um, etiquette or a matter of humanitarian perspective. It's a matter of business bottom line. 
Correct. Oh, you're so right. If I'm dealing 100% with business clients, that is absolutely the revenue answer gets them every time. That's that's 100%. Right. If it's if it's a question of uh, philosophy or uh, you know a more of a discussion, a humanitarian discussion, then and not a revenue question, then it can you know have all kinds of answers. But no, you're 100% correct, Christian. I agree. Now. I mentioned earlier that your your work is is widely spread uh, across the internet. Not only is the book out and it has been out for a while, and we will of course have links in the show notes so people know where to find the book and and take a peek. And I think we'll also be able to post a link to your website where people can sign up for your newsletter, which also will grant them access to um, a chapter. Right. Yes, they can download. If you go to our website, it's SharonSchweitzer.com. You can sign up for our newsletter and download a chapter, the culture chapter of our book. And it's a free download. Now, isn't that exciting? And Excellent. It's, it's good. It's yeah. good stuff. A lot of people enjoy it. And we get a lot of feedback. Excellent. That, that is great. That That's awesome for, for our listeners. So go make use of that. You'll find the link to that in the show notes. Make sure you sign up to get that free chapter. And of course, if you're intrigued, the book's out and there's ways to get it online. I don't have to name the online retailers. And I'm sure if you live in a city where they still have physical bookstores, by all means, use those as well. Now, you do write quite a bit. I see a lot of your articles on three tips for Dubai or five tips for Hong Kong in the Huffington Post. Are there any other outlets that people should be aware of in order to find your your expertise and your, your work? Well, we post on our blog, uh, which is on our website. Mm -hmm. And then we, from time to time, The other, the only other one we post on is She Savvy, and then from time to time we also post with the Forum for International Trade, and they're based up in Canada, and right. it's FITT. We post with them quite a bit. Nice, yeah, that that's a critical organization. So I had the pleasure to to write an article for them in the past as well. FITT for those of you who are doing or about to do business with Canada, that is. A, a great connection to a, a, I think it's a government or a semi-government organization that will connect you with the relevant bodies for import, export, and doing business with Canada. Yes, they're fabulous. I think very highly of them. And I, if you're doing business in Canada, you're right. They, they are the folks to go to. Excellent. So Sharon, um, coming back to, to the original question, access to Asia, What will be some some core takeaways, some core nuggets for our audience? What what to pay attention to? I know Asia is not one country; it's it's several countries with their unique behavioral norms. But what are some of the things that going into Asia for the first time that Westerners should be very aware of? Well, Christian, one of the things that I think people need to be aware of. That, that we found crucial when we sat down to write the book, you know, there are so many countries in Asia and depending on how you count them, you, you know, some people say, well, they're between 48 and 52 countries. So 
just starting out to figure out how to write the book, we engaged the global intelligence firm Stratfor and asked them to produce a report on U.S. American business travel to Asia in order to identify current and future top-ranking countries for U.S. investment, in order to identify you know, the future top-ranking countries for U.S. investment in travel. Right. Now, there were six countries um, China, Hong Kong, Japan, India, South Korea, and Taiwan that accounted for over 70% of all U.S. business travel to Asia. And they represented the top U.S. regional trade partners as well as key destinations for U.S. investment. Mm -hmm. And according to Stratfor in this business report, travel to these countries with the possible ex exception of Taiwan is going to increase. In fact, it's going to, those countries are going to emerge as increasingly important destinations for U.S. business travelers over the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. Now, among some other top-ranking countries are Singapore, the Philippines, and Malaysia. So I also added another country because of my personal fascination, and that's mysterious Myanmar. Hmm. So... That's how we came up with those 10 countries within the book. Now, we wanted to communicate two major concepts in the book. First, we wanted to dispel the erroneous assumption that there are universal ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving around the world. Because, Christian, you and I both see this bias played out in organizations day after day worldwide, especially as it relates to leadership and management research and advice. Right. You know, we see these Western neuroscience institutes that claim that certainty is a constant drive for the brain. However, we know that there are various dimensions of national cultures that have considerable variations of tolerance for uncertainty or ambiguity, especially in Asia. Um, the second thing that we feel that I feel is crucial, especially in Asia, is that relationships are dynamic. So regardless of home country, we all share a common desire to relate. So, you know, in even in the Gallup organization, in their work identifying universal attributes called strengths, they discovered 34 personal themes described by the StrengthsFinder assessment tool and taught the top five were common internationally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Placement in those depends on whether you're U.S. or international. So whether you're from Bangalore, Baltimore, San Francisco, or Shanghai, there are still certain ones that are the top three, and those are achieving, learning, and relating. So regardless of your industry, we are all in the relationship business. Mm -hmm. So I think personal relationships have a higher currency and, and a higher currency value in Asian business in contrast to their lower currency rate in Western business. Mm. So I think Western and U.S. American leaders really don't always appreciate the importance of the long-lasting relationships over quick transactions. So for me, in writing the book, Spending time to build trust, inspire respect, and create long-lasting business connectedness was, for me, 
that was crucial in the book. And many U.S. Americans and Westerners see building trust and creating long-lasting relationships as time vampires. Yeah, and it's 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 difficult for for Western short-termism to to come to accept that it 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 takes a while it takes a longer time to come to realize the the benefits of, of having that long view approach that is so highly valued in asia it's 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 like almost a, a i don't want to say a catch-22 but it's it's if you approach business with asia with a western short-term um return on investment perspective then you're you're shooting yourself in the foot basically that's right yeah so the t taking the long view, having the patience to build rapport, to build relationships is is probably the, the, the key skill for Westerners to develop in order to be able to access Asia, right? Yes, it is. I think that's key. And I think you have to adjust yourself. You have to adjust to new and unique cultures and without losing yourself in the process. Mm. And it requires that you have a true sense of who you are. So self-awareness, which is why we put the self-awareness assessment tool in there. We kind of created one of our own. Andy Malinsky, who is fabulous. He wrote right. the book Global Dexterity and he has a new book out. You know, he addresses this also. Yeah. Readers, uh, readers of our blog and listeners of this podcast are very well aware of um, Andy's book. So he's been on this program and I'm glad you're mentioning him. Um, and, and your book falls into the same realm. So if, if you are still learning like we all are, about how to be more culturally competent and savvy, um, go check out Sharon's book, Access to Asia, available online and in select offline bookstores of your choice. Make sure you visit Sharon's website to be put on her email list and also to receive a free download of one of the critical chapters of the book. Sharon, thank you so much for taking time for us today. Um, I look forward to getting the second book um, once it's published so we'll keep our audience posted when that comes out and in the meantime feel free to connect with Sharon on social media we'll post all the rele relevant handles to her um, and I hope that you will be able to connect with Sharon Schweitzer online. Sharon any any parting thoughts? Well, Christian, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast, and I would also want to visit with you at some point about uh, considering joining us on the Global Thinkers Forum. Oh, that would be an exciting idea. So to, to our readers, in a nutshell, what is the Global Thinkers Forum? Well, the Global Thinkers Forum is a global platform that brings together a diverse network of thought leaders to share their visions of the future and also to create meaningful conversations and affect positive change in the world. Their mission focuses on three areas, accountable leadership, women's empowerment, and youth development. Mm. Um, the Global Thinkers Forum is kind of a bridge builder. And they create opportunities for knowledge exchange, collaboration, strategic philanthropy and recognition. It's a nonprofit. It's London-based and was incubated at Oxford University's uh, SAID Business School in 2011. It's been created to help societies and leaders navigate our very complex world. Mm, so it was, it was launched back in 2012 in Amman, Jordan. 
Interesting. Yeah, well, keep me posted on that, and we'll make sure to post a link to that organization for those of you who just had their mouth water a little bit, just like I did. Um, Global Thinkers Forum, I think it's a .org domain, right, and since it's a nonprofit. So we'll, we'll post it in the show notes. Um, I, I should know this off at the top of my head, but I don't, so that's what show notes are for. So you go back to the website, you go back to the blog or to your iTunes or wherever you're listening this from, and you will find the links to Sharon, to the Global Thinkers Forum, to our website, to the book, to everything we talked about today. Isn't the internet marvelous? Sharon, thank you so much. Um, keep, uh, keep up the good work and, of course, be a part of keeping Austin weird. I will try to do that, Christian. You take care and have a wonderful week. Thank you. Sharon Schweitzer, everybody. And there's a reason why I chose this conversation to be published at this time of year. At least those of you who are regular listeners and visitors to the website and to the blog and to the podcast section, you know that it is now February, which also means this is Chinese New Year. And as my timing so will, um, obviously with being the Asia expert and the author of Access to Asia, Sharon already published a little article on her blog. You'll find the link on the website in the show notes. You'll find the link to her blog on Chinese New Year, what this means for you if you're doing business with China, or for that matter, with Korea or Vietnam as well. also links to Sharon's website, to all her social media handles, to the Global Thinkers Forum, to the book. Everything's in the show notes. Please check it out. And also do check the new blog posts. We have some exciting new stuff on there. Don't want to give it away. Just click on blog. It's easy on theculturemastery.com. On the top, you'll see the podcast tab and you'll see the blog tab. You'll figure it out. You are internet savvy, aren't you? Because you're listening to podcasts. So this brings this episode to a close. This was the Culture Guy podcast with Sharon Schweitzer. And I will talk to you again soon. Christian out.